What are you doing out in the snow? It's 32 degrees below zero Celsius. And my dad is working hard, looking beyond the extents of hypothermia, hypochondria, and all the elements combined. He works to build a fence. A true servant, a true worker, a true exhibit of hard work and ethics. This is my father in whom I am well pleased. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking? Then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack where the people there don't suck or at least their jobs don't. So in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. <laughs> Is that hypnotizing you? I'm going to miss that intro. I'll get a new one. You want to do Gibbs? You want to do, do someone new? Like the same feel, the same feel, the same style. Okay. Do you guys want to try to harmonize the intro right now? No. I don't think you that do? would end well. The <laughs> only one that's making you my... You broke out when I it started. Might, it might, it might be mind. okay. It might actually end up okay. I hope that was hypnotizing to you, audience member. <laughs> tried it. I you hope. ruined it. Never happened again. <laughs> No, no, no. That was good, Corey. That was good. I think it's it's like it's yeah. I think I yeah. might ruin it. We'll see. No. So welcome Bird. to the Bitcoin Pat podcast. Podcast. Fudge, fudge nuggets and snippets of bamboozle. My name's D. I'm not allowed to curse anymore. I'm on Ooh, my one. Is he gonna make challenge. it through one? Will he make it? Will he not? Find <laughs> out on today's episode of the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode number. It's up there. I'm the host that talks first, <laughs> D. I'm uh, another host, Dr. Corey Petty. And I'm the third host, Jesse Broke. All right. The question of the day that I've been asking people and maybe seeming a little bit insane is, when you're listening to your inner voice, do you hear yourself? Do you hear one other person? Or do you hear a different person, depending upon the scenario you're thinking about? I don't think I've ever thought of this. I don't think I hear a voice. All right, so I'm the one that kind of <laughs> is sociopathic, but Jesse, I want to hear your answer. Wait, wait, run, run the question back one second. I was just thinking about how Corey's lighting looks impeccable, and I forgot to adjust my lamps <laughs> that I'm kind of using here. You do look uh, a lot more. Run it, run it back. It's a cloudy day. It's really good diffuse light. Hmm. Run it. The can question you, is this: the question yeah. when you are in thought, right? Which everyone okay. is in thought, absolutely, yeah, all the time, deep in thought, yeah, right. Hmm. Do you A, hear yourself, B, hear someone else, or C, hear a different person depending upon the situation? I think I hear myself trying to take in. So I, I hear myself. Never thought about it, have you? Running through all the different perspectives I need to take into account at a given thing. Right? Hold up, but that's it's, what? It's, what does it sound like? 
Like who what is it sound like? Is it you? Oh, I, I don't I don't I don't manifest a voice. I'll put it that way. Okay. It's kind of like there's no, there's no voice manifestation. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. why I learned I think I'm a little bit different. Because I manifest accents too, depending upon what I'm working That's on. That's pretty fucking cool though. Oh wait, I it's weird though. Hey, <laughs> <Jeez, laughs> inner monologue has to be one of the most interesting things that a human can experience. Yeah. So for like example, if I'm heavy in some data, it's a British person. Mm-hmm. Right? That's pretty cool. Are you lying? Are you making no, this up? I'm not. I realized <laughs> today because I was talking with two of my teammates and then I actually realized it a few days ago because I was like just talking out loud, like talking, you're thinking something out. So you're thinking, you're talking, right? Like I was working through something and it wasn't data. It was like a, it was like a design kind of thing. For some reason with the design kind of stuff, I was taking on like an African accent, but then with like that kind of stuff, I was taking on like a somewhere between Ireland and like Northern England accent. And I was like, what is happening? And I, the only reason you'd notice this is if, I don't know why you'd notice. I feel like I need to talk to somebody. I feel like I'm going to maybe take, keep track of this. This is not something I've ever even thought about before. And I don't, I don't think I have a, there's no, like, I was just like, Oh, I'm going to grab the column header throw it over here and i was just like listening to myself and i was like why am i talking to myself in an accent and then it got deep i was like am i am i myself when i'm talking to myself who am i manifesting an individual to walk me through my thought processes you know, like, you know when they, they when, when you sever like the corpus like the corpus callosum in the brain absolutely you can actually end up with two different you can end up with two different uh, almost like people right in one place. The other day, I was just drinking some tea and thinking about the corpus callosum. And we are all right. <laughs> we got you gotta talk about some crypto here. Obviously, the story of the hour. As of this morning, we were waking up here, day of our Lord, March 9th. Happy birthday, sister. Shout out to you. You don't listen to my show, but my show listens to you. Um Apparently, Biden's supposed to make a statement. Did he make a statement? Something leaked, right? Secretary of the state. Her name, she's not Secretary of the State. She's Secretary of something. Janet Yellen. Which she, quite honestly, and kind of Wait. ironically, does not yell that much. Um, Are we checking on that? I she like released a statement, and basically her, it was her response to what Biden was supposed to say or did say. I don't know. Secretary of Treasury. Because he was supposed to, um, was he going to release a, an executive order on crypto? And everybody was like, whoa, is this the moment? Is this the moment where a big government tries to ban crypto and we got to all we either stick to our guns or run to the ATM or BTM, big Bitcoin teller machine? Right. I suppose it was pretty positive for crypto. Right. U.S. is going to take the stance that it usually takes on new technology, which is we're just going to let it happen. See what see what I see. We're what, not uh, going to stifle innovation. Yeah. We're not going to stifle innovation, which means uh, if you're making too much money, we're either going to come get some of it or throw you in jail. That's what that means in America, by the way. I hope <laughs> I hope I hope everyone digests that. If you make something in crypto, you start making a ton of money. Uncle Sam's going to come knocking. And he's going to give you that good old mafia. Hey, this is for your protection. This is for your protection. So you might want to decentralize your stuff. But Corey, how do you feel? How, how do you feel about the statements, the supposed executive order? Because I haven't looked into it. I haven't looked. But. I mean, it's better than 
not good. We're just like, eh, we're going to go ahead and just crack this down. It's nothing but, you know, pedophiles and money launders. Yeah. Like if, 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 the, if the wording was alluding to bad actors and the need to stop them, then you'd be worried about regulatory, like, mm-hmm. things that come into play that stifle that as opposed to um, calling it a innovative technology that's nascent and worrying about hindering it and the United States becoming a world like uh, hindering United States being able to be a world leader in that technology. Those are two very different outcomes. Those are two very different narratives that we've seen play out within government. Um, So if you look at like this general sentiment towards like privacy technology, that tends to have a narrative of like, child pornography and you know illicit actors right mm-hmm. and and the and, and the and the regulation that comes out of that is usually to stifle things like cryptography mm-hmm. so i'm happy i'm not seeing that yeah so you, much for I'm, that good lighting huh what happened to it just turned off the sun came out <laughs> mm. so why don't you just put the sun on your face because I do don't that. sit in a place where the sun hits on my face. Bro, you got to use science, bro. You got to use mirrors. Mm, got to get blackout curtains. Control the light. Things are... <laughs> control the light. Mm-hmm. Make it yours. <laughs> we'll get there. It's a new house. I got a lot of stuff to do. Yeah, you do, bro. You got to make it a home. But yeah, that's... A, it was. I mean, that's generally good. <laughs> but like, I'm like optimistically cautious because... There's still no like strong guidance on what what's optimistic cautiousness. Is that like taking some tums right before you eat a good burrito? It's like, like I'm looking for like, uh, okay, good. I'm leaning on the side of good, but I'm not going to like go full tilt and do a bunch of like, re- like maybe risky things because the concept of it cracked down on the future isn't gone away or it's not like you know like do whatever you want you know taxes are going to be super lenient now it's just like no we're you know we're not well you you can have businesses we're still going to tax the shit out of them yeah there's no like there's no strong guidance that gives me any indication of the types of behaviors that i can do now that i couldn't do before it just means that it's less they're less likely to be taken away wholeheartedly than Mm -hmm. if the narrative was this is bad we need to stop it yeah i think like I mean, that's, that's, that's how uh, one, I make a lot of statements that I seem very matter of fact, where it's really me just blaring out an opinion because we know, they know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what would a podcast be if they know unsolicited? I am here opinion. to opine. Um, opine happens to be my favorite type of tree. That's a good word. Um, I think that's what the U S does best, right? We just kind of let these companies while out, until there's a clear leader in the pack. And then the U S government leans on those companies, the leaders of the pack to regulate whatever industry it is. I've seen it time and time again, I could rattle a few off television, railroad, automobile, airplanes, internet. Like it's going to be no different. Every time there's a new industry and there's a herd winner, the government starts leaning on them. Can anyone name who's being leaned on right now? I'll give Coinbase. you a hint. 
Queen Bees. Queen Bees. You damn skippy. Like, they, they shut down 25,000 Russian accounts. Just turned them off. But they added right. SNT, baby. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you guys need a... Hey, if you guys need a voice actor over at Status, I'd be happy to... Status on Coinbase. Base, base, base. I'm, yeah, I got it, bro. I'll I got y'all. You out. I got y'all. I can do anything you need. Do you like privacy? We do, too. <laughs> That's right. Um... Yeah, Coinbase, right? They're the leaders of the herd right now. And I guarantee you, there's a government agency person, probably like mm-hmm. within five square miles of Coinbase, just ready to go up in there, talk about some, hey, what's going on, Lex Luthor? We need to talk about some stuff, right? We need, we need to talk about some stuff. So, I mean, that's how it is in the U.S. anyways. I can't speak for other countries, but I can speak for the U.S. and that tends to be how we do things. I don't know. Am I off base? I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm about 80-20 in this opinion. So I had a had a conversation um, about a boot. how to look at crypto, right? In terms of mm. um, like when no. you're when you're throwing your money into crypto, right? When you're buying the economic skin in the game, right? Uh, how should you treat different sectors broadly, right? So I kind of created this mental model of there are three buckets, right? The the first play is the super fringe crypto is going to become its own thing, right? And it's going to Mega. become its own like little society fragmented right thing based on you know conversations I've had with people. Second bucket is like you have things like Ethereum, which you know they were they were created so that you could have that like the original ethos of you know you know quote unquote everybody everybody saying that they hate this word decentralization. And then the third bucket are the plays that are more like, you know, Ripple, I guess, where they kind of, they're not even real blockchains. They're just the illusion of one, right? So it's pretty much centralized. Maybe, maybe closer to like distributed ledger, te- ledger technology controlled yeah. by yeah. a group of people. Absolutely. So in, in my mind, I think it like, you know, you have to kind of create sort of constructs to have like more guided conversations about things. And I think... That's a that's a good starting point for people who are interested in figuring out, you know, what sort of what sort of um, what sort of options they have. I guess it's not going to get any better. It's going to get any yeah, easier. It's not. It's it's a hard. It's yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's too much nuance. The interview that we have today, um, we'll probably play a clip about it, about it later. But I mean, was with Corey Doctorow talking about a lot of very poignant things with the ecosystem and worries about stuff. But like, and a a part of that conversation came up where he's just like, I mean, more often than not, because it's such a broad community, every time he has a criticism, the response is usually, well, it's like, well, that's this. What about this? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a, it makes it difficult to have any hard criticism on anything because the corollary or rebuttal to that is still within crypto or, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know how people navigate that. And that was another part of the conversation is like, it's so complex. It's right with fraudsters because it's, it's inaccessible by the everyday person. Welcome back everybody. 
we got another interview for you. Once again, we have the famous Corey Doctorow. And Hi. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty and Jesse Broke. Corey, for those for those few out there that don't know who you are, would you like to give us a quick introduction? Sure. I'm a science fiction novelist and several other kinds of writer, um, essayist, young adult, middle grades, graphic novel, uh, columnist, blogger. Uh, I have been with the Electronic Frontier Foundation for 20 years. Currently, my role is special advisor, formerly the European director. Uh, and I am also uh, a blogger. And for 19 years, I wrote on Boing Boing, which I still co-own. And for the last two years, I've written on a site of my own called pluralistic.net, kind of a solo project. Um, I guess other the other thing to say is I'm a visiting professor of computer science at the Open University and a research affiliate at the Media Lab at MIT and a visiting professor of library science at UNC. And I hold an honorary doctorate in computer science. It's amazing the amount of writing you're able to get out <laughs> thank you i write when i'm anxious which is why i've got eight books coming out between now and the end of 2025 just oh constantly anxious <laughs> yeah well it's been a stressful couple of years i don't think it's going to get any better <laughs> I think you might be right. or it might get worse before it gets better anyway mm-hmm. well uh we brought you on again uh one because like your 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 takes are typically nuanced and reasonable when it comes to um web3 blockchain bitcoin whatever whatever you want to call it right and and they're good criticisms i like hearing them full out as opposed to tweet threads to hear you can get them as blog posts too all those threads are collected in posts Mm -hmm. just for whatever it's worth but yes yeah i just and just have the deeper conversations to talk kind of to explore some of that subtlety because i have differing opinions in some parts and sure and um, I don't think there's Always a lot of places where you can this. go and have those conversations without it just being a, a fight. I did a, I did a talk with the Boston Computation Club on the weekend. They're a little seminar group. And one of the questions was about what do I think about Web3? And, you know, my, my answer is the same as always, which is the people who talk about it say a lot of things I agree with and then have a method that I'm extremely skeptical of. Uh, and the fact that we all want the same thing but disagree pretty sharply about how to achieve it means that there's something to talk about. It's good to put it. Why don't we start with that? Um, What is it you think we agree on? So I think we agree on decentralization. And I think we agree that the um, uh, finance system is structurally important, that it, uh, the current regulatory regime um, is corrupt and does not serve the public interest. And that uh, concentrating power into a small number of hands uh, produces outcomes where unless those benevolent dictators happen to be perfect and without uh, and, and infallible, um, produces some pretty bad outcomes. It's one of those things that works really well, but fails really badly. You know, when um, Tim Berners-Lee is calling the shots well for the W3C, the W3C makes some really good standards. But when he decides that for complicated reasons, the web is just going to have to have DRM, no matter how many members oppose it, uh, he's the wrong uh, benevolent dictator. And unfortunately, those benevolent dictator mechanisms don't really have a great way to override the dictator. So uh, I think that we are generally in accord on those things. So you say decentralization. I, I hate the word used so broad sweepingly. You say that in reference to decentralization of power. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so this is maybe one of those areas where we disagree. 
Um, so I, I just uh, read a pretty good paper on shadow banking and its parallels in um, DeFi. And one of the points that's raised in the shadow banking paper is something that uh, various researchers have pointed out, and I know some some coiners dispute, but that uh, blockchain has produced or blockchain-based finance has produced uh, extremely high concentrations of um, distribution of coins. You know, the, the Satoshi's wallet's bigger than everyone else's. Uh, and that this is true up and down the scale, and it's actually a function of doing things like giving early project uh, participants lots of coins, uh, and um, that what this has produced is a situation where all the money is in a very small number of hands, but there are a lot of things that we might call banks. And from my perspective, I'm sort of anti-oligarch. I'm, I, you know, I don't care how many banks the oligarchs do business with. I want no oligarchs because I think that when, um, because money is power and when power is in a small number of hands, it's uh, easy for are democratically accountable institutions to be corrupted by parochial interests. I think that's a reasonable, reasonable outlook. I mean, I, yeah. part of my, I don't know how I got introduced or, or had any work in the early days was looking through um, the differentiation between um, the narrative of early ICOs in the token distribution and the level of inclusion, and then the actual on-chain distribution and the lack or like the lack thereof for that matter. Um, and looking at distribution of coins, it, 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 it seems like most coins tend towards that for a myriad of reasons, whether it be like, or the adopters get more coins because there's no value. And then over time they hold on to those things because the mentality is to hold and not do things right. more often than not. Um, but like, I don't want to throw the baby out with a bathwater on that one. It's not, it's not fundamental to the system. It's just how we've somehow, managed to do it so far, probably based on naivety. So I, I mean, I, I would be, I would entertain um, uh, like articulated accounts of how that would change. Um, you know, I, it seems like if something happens the same way over and over again for a decade, and the theory is that maybe we could do it different. I mean, yeah, obviously, like maybe we could do lots of things differently. I'm a great believer in doing things differently. One of the things I published yesterday was a review of David Graeber and David Wengrove's uh, amazing book, The Rise of Everything, which is their, um, or The Dawn of Everything, I beg your pardon, which is a, a book they spent 10 years working on that's a history of all the different anthropological arrangements that we've had over the years. Uh, and a counter to the dominant narrative of civilizational evolution that, you know, first we are hunter gatherers who join bands who become agriculturalists who then produce a surplus that produces hierarchy that then moves into cities that are complex. And so we need bureaucracy. And so it's just like, this is how all civilizations work. And what they point out is that nothing of the sort happens, right? Like there's a 5,000 year period during which we do cultivate grains after we know how to do it. But there was also before that a 5000 year period where we didn't, right, where we just chose not to, like, you know, the, this inevitability march is very different. So I'm a great believer in the idea that if we can imagine another social arrangement, we can try it. But um, I think the difference between say, the the Graeber Wengro hypothesis, and maybe we could do it differently, is that although they're both aspirational, the evidence that Wengro and Graeber present for their hypothesis is that we have done it differently. Um, and obviously, you haven't done anything differently until you've done it the first time. So, you know, that, that's a test that if you apply it early enough, 
will get you nowhere. But um, I, I find that uh, a more credible position because they then unroll, you know, hundred. It's a seven hundred page long book. They unroll like hundreds of civilizations from history across the world that did it differently. You know, civilizations where we had centralization, but um, geographic dis dispersal, inequality, but not an inequality of power. So inequality of wealth and not inequality of power, which is wild. There have been lots of societies where being rich didn't make you powerful, which I find amazing. Um, places where we had extremely centralized authority and no coercion. So like the only way that the king could get you to do anything was by giving really good speeches. And otherwise, you didn't have to do anything he said, like, we've really had all those arrangements. And so maybe we could again, but I think that, you know, there are some other things related to DeFi anyway, that I find to be integral and also high risk. And those um, primarily arise out of smart contracts, which, you know, is a subject that like, I followed for a long time. I wrote a novel in 2002 that had smart contracts in it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm new to the subject. And um, the, the thing that I find worrisome about smart contracts is, is two factors. The first is their intrinsic complexity, because they have a kind of double-faced complexity, where on the one hand, you have to be able to read a prospectus, which is already a thing that a lot of people fail at doing and is a source of a lot of problem in the traditional finance world. But then you also have to be able to parse the source, because if you, if, it doesn't matter what the prospectus says if the source doesn't do it. And, you know, we can talk about from a computer science perspective, whether it's smart to write complex code that by, um, by design, we have removed an undo function from, you know, one of the one of the bulwarks against this foundation of computer science, the halting state problem, which is to say, you cannot know what a program will do until you run it, uh, is that we try to build in undo. Um, it's not always possible, you know, if the program results in like, opening the nuclear containment vessel, you know, it might be too late to hit the control Z. But um, for the most part, you know, like where we can, we put it in there. So so on the one hand, you have uh, complexity of source code and complexity of, of the financial proposition, which isn't just a source where of um, accidental mischief, but also deliberate mischief. So one of the things that I've written some books about and spent a lot of time reading about is the history of cons which is obviously a subject that's like, you know, pretty relevant to what's happening in Web3 right now. And in the, in the golden age of the con, which was the age of the railroad, um, there were two main cons that were played. One was a stock swindle and the other one was an off-track betting swindle. Um, and both of them had the same form, which is that you would convince a sucker that you um, had access to, uh, you could front run, that you knew what the outcome would be before it was posted in the exchanges and that you could lay uh, bets or make investments uh, prior to the posting of the results. And it was it was basically like, it looked a lot like Robin Hood, basically, it was like, I have a friend in the Western Union office, which is like saying, I have, I, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've uh, cross subsidized uh, self serve zero cost uh, uh, retail investment platform. And they let me know ahead of times what the orders are going to be. So I get order flow, right. And if you've ever seen the sting, it was based on the canonical sociological nonfiction book about this a book called the big con by Oliver Moore. And the thing is that the ropers, when they met a sucker on the train, because this is how they would make their suckers, is they would find someone coming to town who'd never been there before, particularly Denver, which was a made town where everybody, um, uh, where the, the judge and the sheriffs and the cops were bought off. You can think of it as like crypto land for this kind of grifter, right? Like, like El Salvador 
for oh, this still, kind of fun. Then mm-hmm. still crypto land, so it works out. Yeah, right. But but no, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess that's right. You can think of it as like a, a an experimental zone, like an Arizona experimental zone, right? Where there was like forbearance for things that might be scams. Um, and so when you got off the train, if you were a stockbroker, they'd play a horse track swindle. And if you were a, a horse track better, they'd play a stock swindle. And the point being that they could kind of exploit your Dunning-Kruger overconfidence that, you know, like if you're really good at stocks, you probably think you're really good at horse racing, you're easier to snow and vice versa. But when it comes to smart contracts, you don't even have to switch the swindle, right? Like if you are a swindler, the number of marks you're going to find who are both literate in source code parsing uh, and deep source code parsing that can like hedge the risk of halting state problems and prospectus parsing as I wrote in my thread about this, like it's a Venn diagram that's so tight, it's a sphincter. You know, it's it's basically like no one uh, who, who's in that realm, except for, you know, a few people who are doing this for a living. But it's not it's not decentralized finance if it's only usable by people who do it for a living, right? The point of decentralized finance is that it's a thing, it's a financial system, which serves lots of people. And in fact, so we need people to play. check it. We need people to help. Because you're like it's as as it as it is rolled out, and a lot of the underlying ideology of this stuff is give it away for free. Anyone has access. Lower the bar of entry, and when you do something like that, you open it up to swindlers, and there's nothing for sure. to really do about that, right? And so if it, it's it's this it's a it's a function of inclusion to have so many things available for scammers. So I, so what I do think you do right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm saying. So, what do you do there? Do you just like do you not do it because you're innate? Like that's it's this it's the nuclear problem, right? Do we develop a a very powerful piece of technology because we know it could be used for both bad and good, or like it, it, the people? I've always wondered about this, right? Hmm. How yeah, do you I, how do you reason about developing something that's incredibly powerful? The tool is maybe neutral, but the people who wield it are not. So I would argue that the binary is a false one, right? Develop or don't develop. There are, so in nuclear, there's actually some really good examples about this where there are certain kind of reactors that the global community, such as it is at this moment, fragmenting by the second, but the global community has favored certain kinds of nuclear reactors that don't produce um, yeah. uh, waste product. Micro that, MSBs, I forgot what they're called, but yeah. We don't, we don't, like, we don't like things that enrich uranium for bombs. Right. So we, we, we would really prefer that if you're going to develop a nuclear capacity that you don't develop that that the reactor that you build isn't really easy to turn into bombs. And, you know, like, look at email. So email definitely enabled a lot of scams, right? The 419 scam mm-hmm. and so on. And um, we developed some mitigations for it. Uh, and those mitigations are mitigations that work at scale. So the big one would be um, uh, verified uh, sender checking where you have uh, PKI that makes sure that if you get an email from Bill Gates at Microsoft.com, that it has to originate with Microsoft's mail servers. Otherwise, your mail client rejects it or your, your uh, MTA rejects it. And, um, you know, obviously, it would have been nice to have that in the first place, but we've got it now. So there's a whole bunch of email scams that are harder to do. It's not that we're, we've ended the era of the email scam, but a certain class of email scam that you is broadly the for email scamming. Yeah, broadly applicable that is otherwise very hard to do because finding an army of people who can help people who've received email from Bill Gates at Microsoft.com to figure out whether or not that's really an email from Bill Gates 
is a kind of insurmountable hurdle. So it has to be an automatable countermeasure mm -hmm. to, to counter that. My argument is that automating prospectus reading and source code parsing is not a thing anyone has a good theory of at the moment. I mean, if you look at like, say, our most aggressive source code parsing effort in the world right now, uh, it's a, a matter of enormous controversy. It's Apple's App Store uh, moderation practice. And there's a bill right now to force Apple to open up its App Store. And Apple's argument is that if they do that, that there'll be a lot of malware let in. And when proponents of the bill says, say, uh, ah, but you have all these automated heuristics that um, find malware, they say, oh, those automated heuristics are just our first line of defense, and they would be useless without an army of human moderators larger than you can imagine, highly skilled, an appreciable fraction of all the people capable of assessing apps are working for us doing this with every hour that God sends. And so if you allow third-party app stores, there will be uh, bad apps in the world, right? I mean, if we, I think that they're overstating the case, but I don't think it's wrong to say that uh, a fully automated solution is, is going to be insufficient, um, not least because there's an attacker's advantage where the, the defense mechanism has to make no mistakes and the attacker just have to, has to find one flaw in its heuristic for spotting malware and off it goes. So there's this, I think there's this like profound problem with smart contracts that makes them amenable to scams in a way that say email isn't, which is that there, the, the dual complexity is very hard. But let's stipulate that you can defraud, uh, not defraud, unfraud, uh, smart contracts somehow. So we, produce just to be clear here, when we're talking, we're talking about the ability of someone to write something that obfuscates fraud, but looks legitimate because of yeah. its level of complexity, not yeah. legitimate issues with like the EVM or smart contracts. But, right. So yeah. now I'm going to move on to those, right? So let's stipulate that somebody out there finds an Oracle that can operate at scale yeah. that doesn't consume giant amounts of gas that the most vulnerable people can afford to use because it's fine to, to have. I mean, if you're rich, you can pay oracles to look at it. They're called lawyers and programmers, mm -hmm. right? And they will go and look at it for you. But all that means is that you've produced a system in which rich people can cash out on poor people who they defraud. So that's not the kind of decentralization I want. So um, uh, let's stipulate that you you automate oracles, and now you have a low cost, high reliability oracle that is available to all comers. I think there's still a foundational risk with smart contracts, right? And that foundational risk is their brittleness. And when I say this, a lot of the times people who are advocates of smart contracts say, um, oh, you're wrong. The whole point of smart contracts is they're flexible because you can embed any terms you want. And that is true. But Smart contracts are designed to execute without human intervention, right? They're designed to just automatically kick in. So for example, a common smart contract in, uh, for lenders, borrowers and lenders, is that if the collateralization of a loan drops below a certain threshold, the loan gets automatically liquidated. No one has to touch it. And we actually have a name for that instrument because we used it in the run-up to the great financial crisis, and we called it the suicide note. Um, so in the run-up to the GFC, there were all these unregulated financial products, uh, mostly CDOs, collateralized debt or, uh, obligations, and then synthetic CDOs and swaps, right? And these things carried a lot of risk for each counterparty uh, because uh, if they, one of the parties were to enter a bankruptcy arrangement, it could blow up a big chain 
of um, financial transactions that hang off hang off of it. Um, so, for example, like um, synthetic CDOs let you place let lots of people place bets on the outcome of a mortgage. So uh, you could have a mortgage uh, with Alice, and then Bob could come along uh, and insure that mortgage. So if if uh, Alice doesn't get your payment every month, Bob gives the payment to the insurer uh, or to the to the to Alice rather. But then Carol can come along and say, I want the same insurance policy. So if, if uh, I'll pay the $10 a month that, that Corey is paying to insure the mortgage, but if Corey fails to, or, or Alice is paying to insure the mortgage, but if Corey fails to make his payment, I want you to pay me Corey's full mortgage payment too, right? Uh, just as well as Alice, right? We're both gonna get a payout on this. And so what that meant is that if Corey were to enter into a bankruptcy arrangement, both of those bets would fail and fire at the same time. And so to de-risk those individual transactions, it was very common in those areas to have binding covenants in the prospectus that required both parties to issue bankruptcy court. So you couldn't go to bankruptcy court if you fell short on a payment. And that way you couldn't have this cascade of failures off this one CDO, right? Well, the problem with that is that it's often better to go to a bankruptcy court than it is to default because a bankruptcy court might make some of those people whole. And because there was no flexibility in the rule, as soon as there were problems refinancing those um, teaser rate loans, as soon as the first ones came in, they all fell in a cascade because no human circuit breaker could come in and go, wait, 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 wait. These individual de-riskings have created a systemic risk, right? And as a result, you had a cascade of failures across the whole system. Now, that's smart contracts, except it's even faster. So if I collateralize a, a debt to you with an instrument um, that falls because of some exogenous factor and uh, other instruments depend on my instrument, as is very common, right? People stake things to, to uh, get other things, to get other things, to get other things, right? And the smart contract, the minute there's a bobble in the market, liquidates the loan. Well, now there's a higher supply of that thing whose value just dropped in the market. And there are bots that go and buy it, right, as the price falls, because there's a higher supply. And that triggers a, a whole bunch more automated liquidations. And then the bots buy those at the lower price, and you have crash, uh, flash crashes, right? Now, there are ways to de-risk this in smart contract land, but they involve hiring an oracle. Who, who sits there between the, liquid, the event and the liquidation and decides whether it's fair. Okay, so now what you've got is someone you trust to press the button when it's fair and not press the button when it's not. Why do you need a smart contract? Why is anyone paying a gas fee? Why don't you just pay that guy who you're already paying to do that job? Why don't you just pay that guy to make those adjudications? In fact, why don't we socialize that cost and call it a bankruptcy court? Right, so now we've got we've got a, a system that has created its own point of centralization, but it lacks whatever notional uh, democratic accountability a public court has. It's disappeared into this opaque instrument, and it's created a, a systemic risk in order to de-risk an individual transaction. And I think that that is inescapable with smart contracts. That that so long as um, you have automated actions being taken that could trigger cascades, which I think are all automated transactions in interconnected financial systems. And you don't have a, an oracle, which defeats the whole purpose of decentralizing. 
then you have a system that is setting yourself up for the same kind of systemic risk that gave us uh, the great financial crisis, which ironically is what triggered the creation of Bitcoin in the first place. Let me try and re rephrase that. Jesse, do you have something before I do that? No, no. I uh, Actually, yesterday, I believe, it, I saw that video with the snippet of Selena Gomez talking about synthetic CDOs from, you know... Uh, big Short? What was the, from yeah, the, big the Big Short. short. Yeah, that's right, a great exactly. bit. Yeah. Right, right. So, like, I, I mean, I get everything you're saying. Um, in terms of smart contracts having to do with DeFi stuff, that's just something that I don't dabble with, mm -hmm. simply because I know that there are... Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not completely formed. And, right. and if you can't uh, starting to see people leave, the table, you're the sucker. <laughs> Your argument, though, is, is, is interesting, though, that like you think we're going full circle with it because of this mountain of uh, cascading effects that can happen from a shaky foundation. Mm -hmm. And so, in my opinion, a lot of what happened in the entire blockchain space was everything centralized. Let's decentralize all the things and automate away as much as we possibly can, remove as many humans as we possibly can in the process such that humans can't have negative impacts on a good system in which we mm -hmm. create rules that incentivize good behavior, right? And then, and then we went full clip with it to the point where you have situations like the Dow where an attack happens and nobody can do anything because there is no human in the, in the middle. Mm -hmm. And... There is. It's, I, it's I feel like your argument is that there's now. nowhere in between. It's 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 one or the other. So I feel like, it's like, like if if the goal, in my opinion, is this technology to give you options on how to how to remove humans and automate a lot of things, and then give people the ability to, uh, I don't know, choose the appropriate technology for the relationship as opposed to being forced into a single one. I think it's mm -hmm. good, and I think that's somewhere in between. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm making notes because these are good points. So I, I um, let me start by endorsing the policy of trying to trying to do, um, trying to automate certain parts of the system. Uh, there's one. I, I don't know if you know Brian Eno's uh, oblique strategies deck. Have you ever heard of this? Mm -hmm. he's, he's I'm, a, I'm also taking notes when you say these things. <laughs> he's a musician. He's a good musician, uh, but an even better producer. And he's um, famous and infamous for having this deck of cards he calls the oblique strategies deck. And during like Roxy Music and Talking Heads recording sessions, he would like stop and make everyone draw a card and they would have these like weird gnomic utterances on them. And he would go, all right, this, you have to follow these instructions, like listen to the silences or something, right? And the one that I love most of all is one that says, be the first person to not do something that no one else has ever tried not doing before, right? And um, you can see that playing out in our world. So Bruce Schneier proposed the Street Performer Protocol many years before um, uh, uh, Kickstarter came along. And the whole idea of the Street Performer Protocol was it was an escrow system based on the way that, uh, for providing public goods based on the way that um, uh, street performers did it. So, you know, you go see a musician and, or, or a magician rather on, in, in Covent Garden and they juggle and they, they, they make cards disappear and they do things with balloons. And then they say, okay, for my grand finale, I am going to stick this torch down my throat and fire is going to come out of my ears. And I'm going to do that grand finality once there's $50 in my case. I don't care who puts the $50 in my, or 50 pounds, I guess, if it's Covent Garden. I don't care who puts the 50 pounds in my case. I will not do the trick until there's 50 pounds in my case. And once there's 50 pounds in my case, no matter who's around, whether or not you contributed, I will do the trick, right? So a public good provision 
through escrow financing. And all of the attempts to build Street Performer Protocol projects had failed because they had a really key problem, which is that if I want to do something ambitious, say I want to make a deck of cards with the oblique strategies on them, I need money to pay my printer. And so if you pile up all the money for the cards, for the pre-orders in an escrow account, and then don't give me the money, I can't pay the printer. And so the cards never get made. And so the money gets just returned to the people who put it in the escrow. And so nothing ever happened. So along comes Kickstarter, and they're the first people to try not doing something that no one else has ever tried not doing before. They say, what if we give you the money before you've done the thing, right? We're going to accept a certain baseline of fraud which or, or error, right? But we're going to trade it for uh, prominent warnings about whether or not, you, you know, you can expect to get anything for your money, uh, along with the uh, unlocking all the projects that can only be made if you don't escrow uh, prior to completion. And that was really successful. I mean, I think Kickstarter, I have a lot of things that I bought through Kickstarter yeah, and they're absolutely right. right. Um, and, uh, you know, people have tried it again. So, um, what's Kickstarter's big competitor, not GoFundMe. There's the other one. Patreon. Um, no, go, no, not GoFundMe. Go, uh, go go GoFundMe, not Kickstarter. There's, um, it's for projects though. It's not for performers, right? It's for, I forget what it's called, but there was another one that came right after Kickstarter. And it did what Kickstarter did, except it said, we're going to pay the project lead no matter how much money comes in. So if they say they need $5,000 to do the project and they only raise $4,000, we're going to give them the four grand. Because Kickstarter's policy was, if you don't make your nut, we give all the money back, mm -hmm. right? That was their hedge. And so this other project came along. And the fact that I can't remember what they're called tells you that it probably wasn't as successful. They took out one too many Jenga blocks, right? And the tower fell down. But Kickstarter found a pretty... Um, seemingly important, but ultimately unimportant Jenga block, and they removed it, right? That's really cool. It got us something that I think m most of us have benefited from in some way or another, even though there were scams. And so the question is, is the kind of human removal in DeFi, the kind of human removal that's a Jenga block too far? And for me, it depends on how you think the system fails, not how it works, because of course, both systems work fine, right? If bank regulators are good, then banks are good. If nobody in DeFi is a scammer, then DeFi is good, mm -hmm. right? Then, you know, it's, it, they work well. The failure mode of a publicly regulated bank is um, that we have to somehow produce democratic accountability in the public regulators, which I will admit is a thing that we haven't done very well, although I would argue we're doing better right now than we have done in quite some time. That, that um, finally, mostly sparked by the uh, you know horrible conflict in Russia, Ukraine, we're finally getting some action on uh, the two-tier finance system, combined with a lot of leaks. I think particularly the IRS leaks uh, have, have given us a lot of insight into the role that regulated entities have played in allowing powerful people to cheat and then screwing regular people. Um, the, the failure mode in, in blockchain land is that you just dust yourself off and start over. You just take your lumps. The money's lost. There's no undo button by design. If you can hope that maybe there's like a centralized NFT exchange, say if you've been, if you've had your, you know, wallet poisoned by an attack, 
where they'll just say, okay, we're not going to sell your ape here because we know it was stolen, which is to say, like, instead of having a regulator that notionally accounts to people who care about you because of how many votes you represent versus how many dollars you represent, you now have a system where if you have a lot of Twitter followers or a lot of money, maybe you can get uh, the preferential uh, treatment. Open C, but otherwise, yeah, you're 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 hosed. And so again, I don't really care how many banks there are if there's the same number of oligarchs. Uh, and that is a system that people who are oligarchs, either in Twitter followers or money, uh, can get justice in, and that no one else has a hope of getting justice in. Whereas at least there is a hope of getting justice. We can build a political movement, you know, which we've done before. It's not like it's a lost art, right? It's not like how do you build pyramids without power tools, right? Like, how do you regulate banks is a thing that we've understood since the Glass-Steagall Act. Uh, and we could do that again. Um, it's, you know, there are people alive today who remember uh, the passage of that legislation and that regulatory regime. These are not, you know, shrouded in the mists of history. And so, you know, as between building a system where just good-natured slobs take billions of dollars from uh, Andreessen Horowitz but nevertheless, just act in a way that is as forthright as possible, irrespective of the impact on their shareholders, versus making democracy more accountable to voters. I think the second one, and you know, maybe this is an outlook thing, but I think the second one is the one that we have a better chance of building. Jesse? Hmm. I can keep talking. You're, but you're, you're, <laughs> combining, you're combining things that in my mind, can be separate things. Like, for instance, you conflated NFTs and DeFi. And in my mind, those are two separate things. They don't necessarily have to be, be they don't necessarily have to go together. So sure. um, demonizing smart contracts on the basis of um, whichever ones have to do with the DeFi, uh, I, I, we, we use this phrase in our Slack, spit swapping, right? Um, I feel like that's, there, there's a more nuanced take there that kind of says, okay, there's probably some sort of social filtering mechanism that potentially is to some degree introduces some counterparty risk and isn't completely, you know, zero counterparty, but there's probably a solution out there, but I'm going to, I'm going to do like NFT stuff, right? For instance, uh, use them, you know, in a different way for a different thing. So I mean, I, this is the uh, this is the problem with talking about about cryptos is that mm -hmm. there it's um, it's a lot, and so mm -hmm. someone's always going to say, "Oh, well, you know, you've only talked about the way that it's risky in these seven applications. What about these three applications?" Mm -hmm. That's the problem, and, though, right? Is we're trying to say how do we fix a tremendously large swath of possible applications. You can't throw, yeah. I, I, I'm afraid of throwing the baby out with the bathwater because there are bad actors. So let's talk about the ideological problem that I have that goes, that cross cuts, I think, across all these applications um, uh, and DAOs and, and system design more broadly, mm -hmm. um, NFTs and so on, which is that to the extent that these are like interesting at all to me, that it's about the provision of public goods um, and, and the enabling of solidaristic collective action, right? Letting people do things that, they need to do and you often hear it in the rhetoric of of, of blockchain advocates you know, being in a community. A time. yeah but the underlying mechanism 
as far as I can tell, is entirely grounded in appeals to speculative upsides, right? That's the that's the incentive alignment. We capitalize this project so that you can get you can realize a return on your investment. Um, it's it's and that's the you know buy a governance token even if you never want to govern this thing because you can sell the governance token because you think the value of that governance will grow. Yeah. And speculation is ultimately counter solidaristic because just like putting suicide notes in your prospectus de-risks an individual transaction but imposes risk on the system, a, uh, a system design that only works when it appeals to self-interest and not to solidarity is a system that only works well because there will always be times when you need to help someone else. So I'll give you an example from the real world. Uh, the, the, I think the original airdrop, which was that uh, before about 1982, if you lived in the United Kingdom, you were entitled to a flat. Uh, and if you couldn't afford one, you could live in a council flat. And Margaret Thatcher decided that the system design was very bad and that it was not incentivizing people to build flats and that it was not incentivizing people to save for, buy flats and accumulate wealth through flats. And so she airdropped them. She basically did this thing called right to buy where you could buy the flat that you were living in that up until that point, all you had was the right to live in it. But when you stopped living in it, it went back to a commonly held pool and then would be allocated to someone else who needed a flat. You could buy your flat you buy it for less than the market value, you could sell it immediately, or you could hodl and then sell it later. And we can see what the outcome of that is right now, right? Um, the United Kingdom has the worst housing crisis in Europe. England has the worst housing crisis in the United Kingdom. And London has the worst housing, cr housing crisis in England. Because what it ended up doing was converting a human necessity, a public good somewhere to live, which is not just a public good for the person who lives there, but if you need a plumber and plumbers can't afford to live within 50 miles of you, it's a public, it's a public bad, right? You're, you're mm -hmm. screwed. So plumbers and people who serve you your food and restaurants and all those other things, even if you're very wealthy, those, those are things that you are denied in a pure market allocation housing system, as we can see. And it, it created a crisis. Now contrast that with a solidaristic mechanism that we have running in that great hotbed of socialist thought, New York City, where finance is in retreat. And where the single most valuable and desirable form of housing is the co-op, where you buy a share in the co-op, it entitles you to an apartment, and the only thing you can do when you're done with that apartment is sell the share back at face value to the co-op. And that is the most stable and desirable form of housing in New York for even the wealthiest New Yorkers. And so I think that when it comes to these public goods, provision through appeals to speculative interest is it it plants the seeds of uh, its own destruction, right? Well, it, let me it, ask you this, Corey. It's unstable. Uh, so, so you know how, um, like for instance, if you want to, if you want, like people are playing stickiness games in DeFi, right? And so they say, um, you know, if you stake, you know, we'll give you a thousand of these tokens. If you stake these tokens, you'll potentially get some of other, these other tokens, right? And if you stake these tokens, that you'll get these other tokens, and then they they add kind of um, incentive mechanisms or you know value adds to why you'd want to stake and hold long term to get this thing because it makes this thing you know they kind of all self feed on themselves mm -hmm. um and then it becomes like almost like a dance of musical 
chairs where it's like when the music stops, when the liquidity dries up between, you know, whatever the largest liquidity pair is, then, you know, if you're not out, you're stuck, right? You know, they, they have this phrase impermanent losses, right? Mm-hmm. So it just means that, you know, you're straight out. Values. Yeah, exactly. So, so, um, but I don't think the idea has been explored of like, you know, in video games, um, there's this idea that when an item drops, right? So let's say we're playing an RPG, right? And there's like this, uh, we, we, we ran this raid together, you know, maybe there's this piece of, of like chest armor, right? That, mm-hmm. um, that it's, it's appropriate to my role, right? Say I'm like a healer, right? And, you know, you can roll for that. And, you know, let's say I get it, um, outside of that dungeon, I can potentially sell that chest armor, right? To mm-hmm. like on, on a marketplace, on a trading, on an auction house, a trading post, whatever. But then there's this also other option, which is, you know, if I, if I bind that piece, that chest armor to my character, right? I introduce this aspect of I'm committing to improving my own being, my own self for the purpose of, you know, a better rate, better, better rate experience, being able to tackle higher bosses with my group, with my collective group, right? So I think this aspect of NFTs and DAOs is not explored in a way that is not economically incentivized. I think that's the area that I'm interested in. Hmm. In particular, because you lose the aspect that of of trading, right? So then you know, the the arguments that the systems are are based around just swapping these tokens, swapping the NFTs, or swapping you know ERC twenty equivalents. It's kind of like there's a different there's a different game. I don't know if it's entirely exchanging um, one game for another with its own set of problems, which it likely is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's going in a direction that is not entirely synthetic cds you know so i i mean i think the it's very interesting to compare it to video games and system design in video games because there is um there is a real belief that video games are kind of toy economic worlds where our economic assumptions play out and where financial models that are like quantitative models can be empirically tested actually in a recent article Mm -hmm. you actually quoted one of those in crypto plus copyright Article yeah, that's right. That. The, the, I was just going to mention that Verifacus. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I've been reading these people since the earliest days, Ted Castronova. And so and I wrote a book about gold farming uh, in the early 2000s. I was actually uh, in India during the great financial crisis researching my book about gold farming. Um, and uh, the, um, the thing that Verifacus says, so Verifacus was the chief economist of steam. And he's an economist. He was the finance minister of Greece, too. So he, he's run both an actual economy and a bunch of virtual economies. And he describes in this, in this interview with Evgeny Morozov in the crypto syllabus, he describes what it's like to have a God's eye view of an economy where you can quantify all the relationships. What he finds is that the, the systems design assumptions about how prices will perform actually aren't empirically supported, at least in video games. We could argue about whether video games are or not a good proxy for this, but his point is that lots of people who have neoclassical ideas about how prices perform say that video games will validate their assumption, and they don't, right? A bunch of of things that are idiosyncratic and related to what you might call politics and not economics uh, apply, and that's an important distinction because... You know, the whole project of the last 40 years, the the neoliberal revolution, the Chicago revolution, was to go from law and politics to law and economics, to move our law to an empirical footing rather than a political footing 
on the grounds that an empirical footing is quantitative and crisp and objective, whereas a political footing where people make qualitative claims about what makes their lives better is, is um, messy and produces uh, inequality before the law because um, two people can do the same thing and have a different legal outcome based on how the people around them felt about it. And what you discover when you actually empirically test the law and econ hypothesis is that systems designed around this empirical stuff end up being super qualitative. There's the, the, this qualitative element is inescapable. And I wrote another article about crypto called The Inescapable Need for Trusted Third Parties, which really deals with this, right? Like qu quantizing difficult claims is really hard. So, you know, a, an example of a proto blockchain, a public ledger, that in theory makes these very crisp determinations would be what happened with certificate transparency. Uh, so Ben Laurie is a cryptographer at Google. He's a very smart guy, works on OpenSSL. He's a crypto pioneer. He um, designed a thing called certificate transparency and your browser does it. Um, whenever your browser receives a TLS certi certificate, uh, that TLS certificate is signed by the CA that issued it and your browser hashes it and sends it to one or more observatory uh, hosts that maintain a Merkle tree and append-only ledger um, that shows all the certificates issued. And anyone can stand one of these up. And because it's a permissioned blockchain, um, it's really easy to run. Like commodity PCs can, can observe and store all of the certificates uh, in use on the internet all day long by every user of every browser in the world. Uh, and anyone can watch these ledgers. And the idea was that if a CA cheated and issued a cert that it shouldn't have issued, um, you could find out. And Google found out. And I always say it was Symantec that did it, but it wasn't Symantec. It was the other giant company that did it. There's two two major companies. Kaspersky. If you want to Google it really quick. Hmm? Kaspersky? No, 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 no. The other giant CA. Hang on a second. Oh. Uh... Uh, Anyway, it was, one of the, it was one of the big two. And it turned out that their production process, when they stood up a new production server, the last unit test they ran was issue a fake Google certificate, which they were then supposed to destroy. But at least on one occasion, they didn't. And it found its way into someone's browser route. This is like the one thing that if you are a CA, you should never do. Ever, ever, ever. Right? Like, it's just against the rules. Right? Like, they, they unambiguously totally radioactively against the rules, permanently disqualifies you from being a CA. And they're still a CA. And the reason they're still a CA, even though it's incontrovertible that they did this thing, the one thing no CA is ever supposed to do, is that power matters. And determining what to do about the information in the public append-only universal trusted ledger is still a political process. And it is an mm -hmm. irreducibly political process. And so then you have to decide what politics are we going to have? Are we yeah. going to have politics grounded in democratic fundamentals, one person, one vote, mm -hmm. um, which can be corrupted and I think has been corrupted and I hope mm -hmm. we can redeem? Or mm -hmm. are we going to build it in a one token, one vote system, which is a $1, one vote system? This is interesting. So I'm working on this thing called DadDAO, right? Where one NFT, one vote, but there's this idea that you can achieve some degree of social consensus around your idea. So you can kind of boost your vote, but there's some sort of flattening function that's mm -hmm. implemented such that, you know, you can't, 
um, co-opt social consensus and get everybody to rally behind yourself and then have like, this, let's say in a vote, uh, like you can't turn your vote into the aggregate of, you know, a thousand people who believe in what you're saying, you know, you, your vote won't be a thousand and one power, right? It'll flatten to some degree. Hmm. So I am with you. I think that everybody in this space is, uh, is trying to quantize things that don't necessarily have to be quantized. There's a, there's a non-STEM way of looking at this. That's like, Hey, you, you know, I know we're trying to metrically figure out how we can algorithmically abstract the human element, but I'm pretty damn sure it's not possible. So let's, let's bring yeah. a little bit of that back in. That's my take, right? Well, look, so many of us are worried that Vladimir Putin has a big red button that launches nuclear bombs. Yeah. And to the extent that he might someday order a nuclear strike, mm -hmm. our greatest hope is the fact that there is no such thing that, in fact, he has to give an order to someone who takes an order, who, who gives an order to someone who takes an order, who presses a button. Mm -hmm. And all the times until now, when there's been a false alarm that told someone to press a button, the person whose job it was to actually press the button didn't press the button, mm -hmm. right? The, you could say that that's a defect. And if the, if the system we were talking about was one in which a social worker decided whether or not to greenlight food stamps for a hungry kid, and sometimes they said no, even though it was their job to say yes, um, I would be really upset. But I'm actually okay with the idea that the person whose job it ultimately is to exterminate all life on earth might change their mind and refuse yeah. the order. Yeah, exactly. And, I agree. And so, and so, you know, every time I look at DAOs, apart from a few trivial activities that are entirely on chain that just involve uh, either giving people money or taking money away from people through yep. cryptocurrency in wallets and not ever mm -hmm. cashing out into fiat that you can spend on things other than cryptocurrency mm -hmm. or NFTs, uh, they all they all at the end of the day are like Vladimir Putin pushing the big red button, right? You, you, you and your buddies all vote on your DAO's outcome and you all press your votes and the votes are all tallied and they're indelibly displayed in the blockchain. And then a human being has to go and bid on... That's you know, exactly the, the part I don't like, Corey. And I, I think that DAOs can be done in a way that isn't signal voting, in a way that you, know, you have some sort of uh, social consensus baked in that's beyond the algorithmic, right? And you can eventually turn that into a contract that everybody goes, okay, does, is, is this, so this is the contract that's crafted based on the way we voted, right? And then there's a, basically it's a multi-check system where you go, okay, uh, this is what social consensus combined with economic incentives kind of resulted, this transaction or this, this crafted smart contract, right? Now, do we want to execute this? Does it sound good? Right? So I think... Again, but what if the dude who's supposed to hold up the paddle and say, I'll pay $3 million for the Constitution decides not yeah, to, yeah. even if you chastise him after the fact, mm -hmm. someone else bought the Constitution. Mm -hmm. So what, what apart from squishy qualitative factors related to trust, mm -hmm. can you do to actually ensure that someone goes to Sotheby's and holds up their paddle? I'll, it's I'd within like the community. That, that, oh, yeah, go ahead. Like, and I want to wrap up because I know we're already yeah, past, go. past your oh, yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is we should that, do this again. <laughs> we should do this a lot of times. A lot of times. We're, in my opinion, this whole technology is blurring the lines between social value and economic value. 
and in some cases, mixing them together, giving qualitative amounts for like digital social value. You can do something with your internet karma. You can build financial instruments of your internet karma, whatever. It's going right? to go really bad, potentially. It could, right? it, and there's incredibly <laughs> dystopian <laughs> things associated with that. Sure. But like, people don't seem to realize that. And they're just rebuilding the shitty finance system that already existed and are going to succumb to the same things. I'm curious to see where it goes. And having conversations like this, I hope help people give an idea of the things we should be looking out for um, and taking into account when we build, when we try, we try these new experiments. You can't take humans out of the loop at the end of the day. That's mm, what I it's believe for. that. I believe that. Yeah. Let me, let me say in closing, because my first novel is about internet karma being turned into economic mm -hmm. value. Right. Um, that those that that novel was a warning and not a suggestion <laughs> because one of the things that it demonstrates is that the um is that uh reputation markets are winner take all because the rep the reputation that accrues to you uh is dependent on the reputation you already have people view your actions through the lens of their existing opinion of you and there's a great example from yesterday's international women's day where they took down a plaque on an on an anglican church on a on a cv church in england that was the first church to ordain women ministers and the reason they took it down is because the only names on the plaque were the men who decided to ordain them <laughs> right so no other circumstance could that have been up <laughs> you know the 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 there's a thing called the fundamental attribution error mm, when i yeah. cut someone off in traffic it's because like everybody's uh everybody's human and nobody's perfect but when you cut me off in traffic it's because you're a sociopathic driver's license yep. taken away yep. right we do fundamental attribution errors for our friends too you know when our pal tells an off-color joke or does something wrong or loses their temper or gets drunk in public and em embarrasses themselves that's just old ted i don't know not not any of the ted <laughs> i know uh but when someone you don't like does exactly the same thing it's be it's proof that they're a terrible person so i am not convinced that reputation i mean reputation already gets you a lot I'm not convinced that we should make reputation get you more. I think it's all about weights, like how you weight things, right? And how it can be flexible. We'll have to save it for another day. Great. Mm. Nice to Thank chat you, with Corey. you. Thank you, Corey. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Alyssa. You think that um, all right. everybody uses this analogy, which is the fact that when technology and technologists, the people pushing the the envelope when their ambitions are potentially greater than what the technology can be constructed to do. Do you think that, like, I think everybody, we, uh, we wish that the ideal was possible, but in reality there are, you know, the practical engineered solution is more likely what is, you know, what is going to happen, right? Because resources are finite, people's attention is finite. And so, you know, you're always going to have in, in every every technology, right? Every every era, you're always going to have people pushing the boundaries up until 
enough people adopt a technology or a medium, any, anything it could be transportation, right? You know, how long did we have gasoline, you know, combustion engine cars for, right? There's a, there's a point where it gets to, it gets to a certain level of adoption where people go, you know, this is good enough for us. And, and maybe there are other nuances that get abstracted away by, you know, marketing and whatever, but collectively there's this idea that, okay, this is, this is good enough to build on or this is good enough to use. Yeah. We're not there. I mean, that's what we, I mean, that's what we think. <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? It's not we're going there. We are there. What are you talking D about? D has no idea. What? I mean, what did I miss? What did I miss? Well, we just have to, just have to pick it up. Just work from where I'm going here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, first off, there's a lot of what you mentioned in the beginning of people who are, you know, a little like getting a little too big for their britches. They, they, they want to do a lot of things and either through incompetence, naivety, uh, ignorance, uh, external, ex externalities, they, they never get there. And they end up making compromises on the way to get to the, the as close to the vision as they possibly could. I've seen a lot of that happen, mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to happen. Unfortunately, it's it it's the hype is so strong, based on the potential of a lot of this technology and the narrative around the potential of this technology, that a lot of people get funded when they never should. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then they have to be good stewards of that money. And either try and shore up their inadequacies or just slow burn it and nothing gets done and money's wasted. And when you lower the, the barrier of entry, mm -hmm. it's like lowering the barrier of entry like combined with hype is going to make a lot of people mad because a lot mm -hmm. of people are going to throw money at things that don't work yep. based on false promises. Even, even yep. if those promises are like legitimately hoped for and they're not scams. Mm -hmm. So people often use the word scam when something doesn't work the way that it was planned. And I think yep. that the majority of that attribution can go to, to incompetence. Yeah. I think education is important, right? Like the, the reason for this podcast is to hopefully, you know, entertain people who are listening, but at the same time provide little nuggets of, um, I guess, wisdom gleaned from us who have made the mistakes, have kind of gone through, gone down rabbit holes that were like, hmm, you know, uh, maybe the ethos isn't here in this in this hole. And then you pop back up and you ask everybody else, you know, okay, you guys have any other good holes where you know this thing might be going in a direction where we we can feel we want to go down and follow them, right? Yeah, we're like rabbits or gophers yeah. right now. Yeah, more than we're discovering. Someone know where Dave wants to go with this one. <laughs> Take it where you. That brain is going. <laughs> He's got the Australian person going right now, trying to figure out the right pun. No, that person is actually a smooth jazz DJ. Oh, your your um, sexual puns is is a smooth jazz DJ. I would never even make those kinds of puns. I'm on a challenge. <laughs> so, um, Jesse, I think you're absolutely right. There's many avenues like that we can go down and pave the roads for those that need paved roads and i think that is what Corey works on mostly if i could if i could distill down Corey's current passions in cryptos he's trying to build the paved roads i make stuff that doesn't suck yeah i think that's that's what it is nobody wants a sucky road 
Am I right? Who likes sucky roads? I know who does. People that live in Colorado. Made a lot of, I feel like we've made a lot of roads that have a lot of uh, troll tolls in the name of making free roads. <laughs> that was a funny episode. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat the episode, but um, you're right. There's a lot of fo- phony fake troll, fake tolls out there. Um, that's a great way of putting it. I mean, I, I get, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself. I mean, and partially is everybody in the space is a, like, it's, it's not me. I'm going to get mine. <laughs> like, I, I want to be independently wealthy. Like I want to have a, a lifestyle that allows me to work on the things that I care about because I'm financially free enough to do so. Your phonetics and, are a little bit off on that, by the way, Corey. What do you it's mean? Not, I'm going to get mine. It's I'm going to get mines. I know. <laughs> All right. My bad. You need to, My you need to say that right. Say that. I'm going to get, get mines. mines. Anyway. <laughs> But that's the mentality, right? It's like we have this, we, it, I think all of us have some mm-hmm. inner battle between I want to do good, mm-hmm. but I also want to, you know, make get money. mine. I'm a yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's this constant struggle between the two and it's a balance of the say, like, how do I allocate my time? And this is something that everyone has to deal with, period, because mm-hmm. you yep. have to pay your bills. Yep. How do I allocate the resources that I have available to me to pay my bills now and potentially in the future? And also do things I care about that help others. In yep. some cases, people don't really give a shit about others. They only focus on themselves. But like even, even altruistic people have to feed themselves. Well, it's like, it's like you know, uh, during the safety procedures, you know, when you're on a plane, they tell you, you know, put your oxygen mask on yourself first before you help others around yeah, you. Yeah, but right? like it's, it's sure we can, we can say that's, that's part of it, but it's because of this hype. Mm-hmm. I think it's exacerbated the 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 thought process of or like belief that well in the process why don't I just like get all of mine first before I help right mm-hmm. because you've seen it happen so many times like time and time mm-hmm. again people getting rich mm-hmm. and then being philanthropic based on the sure. fact that they never have to work again sure and only in this real like like as far as I'm concerned, maybe it may be finance, but it's not nearly as altruistic mm. that a good portion, a larger portion of the people who are involved are thinking that first. They're like, well, I'm just going to like do this thing, get ultra rich, and then I'll care. I'll, I'll, I'll spend mm. the rest of my life caring because I'll have all this money and all this free time to care. And the reality is it's, a, not a it's, it's like, exactly. You have to kind of do it as you go, because if you think that you're going to be able to be altruistic when you get to a certain amount of money, the, the reality is uh, you may never get there. Right. So, no, but I will. Um, yeah, no, no, but you will. That's what everyone's yeah, exactly. going to say to you whenever you say this, like, yeah. well, I'll do yeah. it. Other people but, that, but that's the I'll thing. It's just, it. why, why not, you know, help, like help people along the way. I think, I think it's, it's just a behavior. You just, you know, have to kind of it's like, it's like, it's like working out, you know, sometimes but, you just have to, what is it? 10%? 10%. Tied. Tied this 10%. Uh, it depends. I, don't know, know, church I know it depends. It's <laughs> a good, bar- church it's a good barometer. Well, no, <laughs> it doesn't thing. necessarily have to be 10% of your, your, your value. That's a good start but it doesn't mm-hmm. get you all the way. I think it's mm-hmm. 10% of, and then that blank after of is what you 
have to be altruistic with. The reality is like in, in America, you need a lot of money to get across that threshold of having mm-hmm. enough, right? So for instance, uh, you know, you talk to a lot of self-made millionaires, the first million is the hardest, right? And then, you know, beyond that, it's it's like scaling, scaling different types of effort. But um, again, back to my point, you can do th- small things for people that may not even be monetary and kind of, maybe it's just your time, right? Because time is ultimately like, there are so many different charities and organizations to give to for all these different events that are happening globally. But uh, time, right? Like if, you, if you're trying to give to organizations that are trying to help out Ukraine right now, you know, we can't fly over. Like we, the three of us, like none of us as individuals are going to take time to fly over there and see what we can do to help out. No, it's we're just going to give it some money. Right. So we're just going to give you money, right? Same thing with UNICEF is a red, red cross. Like the people who really carve out time to help, that's, that's a huge economic uh, giving because it's like the logistics of that are, are way more harder, like way more difficult than just, you know, here's, you know, hundred bucks or here's 10 bucks, whatever you can kind of spare. So it's just, I mean, it's interesting to see the people who are willing to carve out more than just money. So how does this reel back into crypto, right? So crypto, I mean, we do it. We we give time. Yes, that's very true. Um, and we give it money. We have donation addresses that just sit there. We, we should pull. We should pull the rug on those donation addresses. We don't give no, money. I'm kidding. Money's for Didn't we give to money to freaking? Uh, I didn't curse. Hey, no. that's close. I'm proud of myself right there. Yeah, we did. Got we, really close. We, we got a lot of donations and we gave for, quite uh, a bit to the the fire. Not the fires, the flood, right? Didn't didn't that old town that you lived in? Yeah, we did that. So we gave money for the Ellicott City flooding. There that was go. close to five thousand dollars. Dean also gave. Dean and I gave some money too. We also so gave we money to. We also gave money to uh, help some families in the in the California fires. And I gave like yeah. I gave like five thousand dollars to the the top winners of the Securium first epoch for hash from hashing it out. Can you guys those are donated to me. Angel what? wings. But like we also Angel give wings. a lot of time. Time yes, podcast. I oh, we've, and we also we've give money a tremendous to, amount of time in this community to that soccer team in Dallas. We give money to them to buy oh, yeah. jerseys, <laughs> sponsorship jerseys. I forgot about yeah. that. So look at us. Whatever. Do we don't need it. to. We need to pat yeah. ourselves on the back. Here's the thing. But like, what we're trying to say to you, audience members, is that we're better than you. You need to know uh, that. You just need to know. No, that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I don't know how all this reeled into that, but. Well, I guess what it boils down to is that, also crypto um, is purely like well, it's not purely, but it's it's primarily economic incentives driven, right? People are in crypto; it's because you know they want theirs, right? And this is a way. It's just like dot com bubble yeah. era. I think like, that. Go ahead. So I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. There's not a great many things in life that are not economically. That's why economics is so powerful. It's the dismal science. It's because so much. Everything can be traced back to some sort of economic lever, I feel like, right? This thing that's going on between Russia and Ukraine, economic. Um, Family quarrels, they're usually economic. Right now, as we speak, there's a family pissed at each other that one of their loved ones has passed away and left them a mountain of wealth, and they're all getting angry with each other because they all have different economic incentives to get their hands on it. Some of them, their hands are greasy. Some of their hands are dry. But 
I feel like economic incentives drive a lot of things. And when it, you're talking about large groups of people, more often than not, the economic incentives are going to drive them the fastest, right? Like all of a sudden, <laughs> one of, some of my associates sent me, one of my associates is giving like chicken strategy classes in his lunch break. He goes to the shop, he gets all the editors around the lunch table and he's like, okay, so you got And it's so funny because it's a very, I hope he doesn't listen to my show, he's going to clown me, but he's got a very Kentucky accent and he's like, all right, so it's try economics. All right. What you're looking at is a try economics. You got egg, you got feed, you got chicken. And I'm like, oh my God, this is happening right now. And he's like standing at the class? lunch table giving a master class on chicken strategy. And when you know you have the right amount of daily feed production and when to swap your egg. And I'm just like, this is wild. But the only reason he cares so much is because the economic incentive, like it's directly changed his life. Right. So um, that's so silly to me that something like chicken has directly changed has directly changed his life but i mean economic incentives are what drive people and the larger the group of people the more those economic incentives are gonna have an effect i mean that's what we talked about so part of that is something that cory doctor always mentioned in this in this show i don't know what how was that uh, great i mean it wasn't as long as i'd hoped it'd be because did you call him out on his crap I mean, we weren't able to it's dive not, into that because he talked yeah. about a bunch of other stuff. It's Corey. He goes on tangents and they're, they're good tangents when we talk about them. He's always trying to sell books. Man, you should have you should have pinned him down to his opinion. <laughs> you should have said, did. hey. We, 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 we discussed good things. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that he mentions that a good portion of this ecosystem, if not all of it, is based on speculative investment. And he doesn't think that that stands. It's It, it ignores a good portion of um, human relationship. And he thinks anything built solely on speculative investment will be the downfall of it. Oh, he was arguing the fact that no, raise your hand, go direct- watch, you have to listen to the episode. You no, didn't no, show up. Bro. Jesse, you go. Cause I got a lot to say. I got a lot to say right here. Maybe you you should have showed up. Kind of curious what you So, so replicating <laughs> the, the synthetic CD CDOs, right. Back from back in the, uh, 2006 2007 run up or before mm-hmm. the whole market tanked so that was something that we he was talking about like you know flash flash crashes as a result of uh essentially like um bots uh you know scooping up and dumping and causing you know prices to go through the what what used to previously be the floor just create a whole new floor um and, and I, you can listen to the interview for like the exact way he worded that but I mean, he's just saying that it's not sustainable, like DeFi in particular. DeFi is not sustainable, but we already know that, right? Not People are leaving. Well, no. I think I think what he's talking about, I think he's right that he's it's not sustainable. Okay. Do you do you think DeFi is sustainable? Like, not so, I, this. It's such. It there needs to be specific projects talked well, about. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, we're having a conversation that D doesn't really understand because he wouldn't yeah. bear to it. So, yeah. what are you going to say, D? I'm just going to say that that argument is schneidy bodies. All right. I would say the S word, but I'm not. It's schneidy bodies. Okay. It's bull schneidy bodies because there's so much of the world that is driven by speculation. 
And sometimes, and this is the same question that I asked Bernsky. I don't remember his name. The guy Chris who wrote the, Chris Bernitsky, or when he came on the show, or his partner that wrote, co-authored that book. I think it was called uh, The Bitcoin Stint. No, that's Chris, not Chris Bernitsky. Yeah. Is, are there no metrics that say when there's going to be a sustainable amount of speculation? Right? We're dealing with decades of speculation now in many, many industries. They're driving growth, right? There's spec massive speculation on the internet. Yeah, but there's Everybody. a restrained amount of speculation. Like for instance, if I'm speculating on the 10-year or like, yeah, like a, let's say the the 10-year projected harvest of grain in the US of specifically soybean crop, right? That's that's something that it's restricted, right? It's not like you can the the derivative systems that can be layered on top of soybean harvests can be extrapolated such that you can have a stock of a of a of a of wacko soybean company that's worth ten thousand dollars a share. You know what I mean? And then if if that falls between a certain like below a certain threshold, people who are making the bet on top of that bet all the way down to you know the soybean. There's a soybean famine, right? Gets completely liquidated. We we don't have we don't build systems like that for everything. Like there is a floor, but in crypto, the floor we have we use this phrase in permanent losses because there is no floor. There's no real value underpinning some of these things, right? Like you're gonna have soybeans, but in crypto, it's 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 vaporware. So push back against that. No, like, <laughs> it's it, no one's no one's saying that speculation not on, on total is bad it's systems that are built only in speculation yeah yeah there needs to like and my like, there's there's a there's there a to be real value underpinning things, the like, thing you can't ignore you can't assume something will work perfectly yeah based on purely speculative reasoning there has to be if you ignore social interaction consequences politics etc Mm-hmm. then you're ignoring a good portion of any any system that involves humans. So if that's mm-hmm. the case, then if his argument is that strong, I would say then let's just go ahead and eviscerate, I don't know, 40% of the value that exists in the world right now. That's all speculative. But I, I, think, I think he would be like, yes, let's do that. I think well, that it, that would be he, his I, I would imagine his argument was like that value serves to make Rich people, rich, and not yeah, and then that value be fairly distributed across people. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure Corey's right. Because who's really profiting from so most people that? Who, who who like that are the people who think they're rich and want to gain from it, or think they will be rich one day. Hmm. Whoever's creating those products games. is making the big derivative. You know, everybody's Superman three, dude. It's the best plot line of all time. Just got to take fractions of fractions of fractions. It's office space. (laughs) Yep. Everybody's doing the office space. Everyone. And you know what? No, there's there's nothing wrong with providing a service and taking a reasonable amount for it. It's the concept of like unmitigated growth or building, like using human dopamine to get people hooked on something that is the foundation of the value of an asset, like NFT games or whatever. Right. And so like, it's it's backhanded ways to 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 drum up value on something that doesn't really matter. And if you build a system solely based on that, then probably not going to work out. No, or at least it'll be unfair. So what you're saying is the same shit we've already built. 
Don't get into the drug game. Don't mess with those dopamines. Probably. Or do they're probably I fairer mean, distribution curves. There, there's probably a different mechanism other than purely economic. Right? We, our government isn't purely economic. This right? is a there's great conversation. It's actually, political. It's actually opening up, right? What? How? Incentives. That's such a powerful word in crypto. It's such a powerful word. Period. Right? What? In, the only thing I think, I think Jesse, I think you hit the nail on the head. Is that the ultimate? One of the best denominators of incentives is has got to be a denominator that has a human element, right? It has to be, right? Like Slack. I really have no purpose to have that on my phone other than the human engagement, right? Other than messing with our community. I have no reason to have Slack on my phone. Slack in my life, right? Now, other, other people do because their company uses Slack and they, they quote unquote, we've deleted email. We are far removed from email. We do not do such foolish 20th century things like electronic mail. Get out of here. It's a stupid company out of here, too. Um, but like, really, that's the only thing, right? So what incentive do people have? It's got to be a human incentive that drives people to something point blank period. And I think that's where the ultimate flaw of crypto was at the very beginning. It kind of like undervalued that. Yeah. Cause you're trying to remove the human, but the human is one of the most important parts. No, it's, it's, it was a deep side. Where is a it, lot of where thoughts it, went in. Where is it good to remove the human? Yeah. That, that, there you go. That's a better that's nuance. That's the question. It's yeah. not it's not yeah. to remove it or not. But 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 here's it's the thing. Sometimes the situation and remove it yes. where it's appropriate. And and sometimes you you total removal so it's not it's not binary, remove or not or 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 not to remove, right? It's sometimes it's maybe add some algorithmic solution, but add another human element. Like you can't have maybe maybe the best solution is not purely smart contract based, right? Maybe there is a little bit of third party counterparty risk that you need to introduce which is exactly what i'm saying you know the reason how like the world operates with political governments right because there's some degree of non-economic value associated with gaining social consensus around idea that doesn't need to be purely you're going to make a thousand dollars or a ten thousand or a million from whatever this action is sometimes you need a group of people to be like, we should build this road. Nobody wants to build it because as individuals, it doesn't make sense for any one person to pitch in. And as individuals, everybody's too stingy to like start start donating something, you know, potentially. Yeah. So, so it's, it's like, just like this road needs to build be built. It. We're going to build yeah. it and everybody's going to get taxed and everybody's gonna, probably going to use it and they're gonna, you're going to like it. Gonna use it, and you're gonna like it. Okay, I think you're right. And then when governments overreach and they're like, everybody has to use this specific amount of yeah, seasonings that's, that's too much in their beef, right? 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 And if you yeah. don't use the specific amount of seasonings in your beef, and we find out you're using more, yep, we're basically gonna kill you, right? Yeah, I think exactly. that's when, I think that's when governments start overreaching. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's a great conversation. That human when that's good, Corey. I never thought about it like that. Like it's it's really starting to like fine tune like when to remove the human element. All right, lightning round. You're at McDonald's, place an order. You want a human making that burger? 
or a robot with some smart McDonald's? contracts. I want a robot making it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about you, Jess? All the way down, robots. All right. My girlfriend gave a uniquely different answer. She said, I'd always want a human making my hamburger. And I said, but it's McDonald's, right? It's, it's going to taste the same. Doesn't matter who makes it. I can so understand. That was my answer. Like if it's if it's McDonald's, you're going there for a quality for for the quality is is the same wherever you go. Because what it's if it's you're going there for not quality, Corey? You're going there because it's cheap. You're going there because it be, and, and and the process me, of baby. it being cheap is that it's industrialized, which means it's the exact same everywhere you go. Yeah, right. That's true. Though. You're, you're playing for you're you're paying for a cheap process. That's why machine because some yeah, kid who, who's in there getting paid jack shit. It might spit in my hamburger or just, or just like, maybe it makes it tastier. No, just, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to find that out. Right. Yeah. I'm if, I'm going, if I'm going to like a place that cooks gourmet hamburgers, I want a chef. I want a human. But it's, what it's about, if it's about, it's, it's, it's nuance. It's you want, <laughs> you want to remove a human where a human doesn't need to be there. So at a, eventually it becomes, there is a artistry, to the thing to there's a small element of artistry to things and that's up to the person consuming it of what type they want right but for me if they could make a robot that can make a 12 dollar burger as well as the chef that makes the 12 dollar burger i don't want to see him make it i don't care i'm not going to steal his recipe i want to taste a burger right I don't what are you care. gonna you gonna thank the programmer that came up with a specific recipe that is unique and gave you an experience that's you enjoyed that you haven't gotten beforehand. I'm gonna think no one, but when I go over, when I go to a barbecue, yeah, all the shit is like, yeah, my homie's throwing out a tremendous amount of like human social relationships, of yeah. like a discovery, like and creativity, and experience, and and like expression. When a sushi master makes your sushi and tells you stories. Now, a burger may not be the right thing here, but like right. people, people enjoy that. They deserve to, and you can't enjoy that through. I mean, yeah, you can programmatically make sonnets that are as good as Mozart's. Sure. You can. That doesn't Not. take away the ability for a human to make it, and I appreciate it. But when we're talking about a McDonald's hamburger, no one gives a shit how well someone makes a hand McDonald's hamburger. Sure. I can't wait. I can't wait. Wait, wait, wait. Hold no- on, hold on. Let me, wait, wait. Before we continue, what about the people who are really nice and give you, like, that extra chicken nugget? They don't accidentally oh, do that. They just scooped oof, it too that fast. Is a game changer. No, no, no. There are people out there who are like, you have a good day, and they look you in the eye, and they know <laughs> You've been that they gave you, and you know, you know that look. They gave you some extra fries. <laughs> they gave you that extra few chicken nuggets because you because you were having a bad day. The robot cannot tell it. that. I don't. The, they the robot to cannot tell that to be pleasantly surprised by the altruistic McDonald's employee. <laughs> it's real though. Sure, I'll, I'm willing. I'm willing to remove that part of the equation. <laughs> You're heartless. You can't get that from a robot. You know, you know. You asked for the four piece and got the six. Unless there's some sort of like random lottery where you actually do get that. I mean, then my argument fails. Well, no, yeah, yeah. I just I can't know. wait for the world. Well, I probably won't be here. Um, I'll be a consciousness floating around in space. But. When people can't discern from something that was created by a human and created by a program, it's around the corner, right? I don't know. I read a lot of Ray Kurtzville, if you will. Kurtzweil? Kurtzweil. I guess I just wasn't, I didn't have that enunciation right. 
Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite books by his is The Singularity is Near. It sounds very like, oh, but at the end of the day, he says that computers are becoming so fast that the output that they can put out is going to be so fast that the human brain isn't going to be able to discern if it was a human or a computer. I mean, that's the VR argument, right? We're living in a virtual reality simulation. Yeah, yeah. It's literally Anyways, what the argument is. We've gone far, far off from crypto. Sometimes we do veer, but sometimes. Um, I mean, really, the biggest things happening in crypto, in my, in my opinion, and that, that's hold up. I'm not going to apologize for it. I like the fact, and this is something that we said. Um, Corey, we said a couple of years back, like I always want to make a show where people can pull things from the show instead of us having to pull a bunch of like, okay, let's read a bunch of stuff that happened on the internet and regurgitate it. Like, I feel like every crypto show is that a lot of crypto shows are that like, uh, here's what the internet says about avalanche. Here's what the internet says about chain link. And then they regurgitate it. Like, a, like, I mean, I just feel like that's a lot of crypto podcasts. And I don't really want to be that. You get wanna... the people who read the white papers and stuff. You should probably noise. stick a little closer to like <laughs> topics. <laughs> yeah, we're going to hone it down going into hashing it out. We're going to hone it down. So we're going for strong 45. We also had an interview for you intertwined. So we're going to do some uh, self plugging up in here. All right. We're going to do a little self plug. So dad Dow, right? DadDow.org. That's the thing. It's a, it's a project that uh, really, you know, hats off to Jesse. Um, this was a brainchild of Jesse. Jesse is the Vital. I couldn't have done it without D. Org. Hey, I'm just yeah. a good looking black cheerleader, man. Right. <laughs> All I do is hop in a discord with Jesse, help him clear his thoughts, help him get things off of his chest. Um, give him uh cucumber melon back rubs with the mint. He loves it. <laughs> So how we do that virtually is you're going to have to join dad Dow to find out and you join daddow.org, uh, in there, you'll come to the discord very soon. There will be a mint, right? And on this mint, you will mint a dad token and it will be soul bound to your wall. <laughs> what? And, 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 and the artwork is going to get revamped. So it yes. won't look like that because, uh, that was all I was capable of at the time. I like that. If you want one of those, you know, maybe if you're like an early contributor or whatever, or if you just want one, we'll send it to you. Yeah, for three thousand, yeah. I'll go. Um, so, <laughs> Jesus, Corey loves to give things away. For I mean, well, both of you guys, they love to just give it away. Just, just give it away. But you know, I like charge little some, some, sometimes. Why not? You know, three thousand, I'll go. Maybe is a little bit high. Maybe we'll give it to you for twenty five hundred. But you know, <laughs> those are gonna those are the classic dad Dow images, and we're gonna have some revampage going along. I'll throw and back later on down the line. Here's the thing. We wanna give the shout out to Tim in the Slack because his artistry Absolutely. is bleeding into our project and his creativity. And let me tell you something, crypto community. Let me tell you something, crypto. If you need an artist to amp up your project, which is a lot of yeah. <laughs> You're going to want Tim to do that art. Oh, yeah. I'm not here to talk about no 16-bit art, baby. I'm here to talk about at least 32. Oh, yeah. 
Sorry. Did that get you guys amped? 24 bit, but okay. (laughs) Did that get get you guys amped? Yeah. I was watching the South Park episode where Macho Man Randy Savage uh, transitioned. Boy, South Park. South Park. It was no, it was, it was like five seasons ago, like season 23. But man, South Park does not pull any punches. It was very, it was just go watch it. It's called Bored Girls. It's a, it's a very good episode where they talk about, uh, you know, uh, that. Uh, the other things that we do. Uh, so there's dadtown.org. Join up. We've got lots of dads on deck. Dads on deck, baby. Dads on deck. Corey, uh, it's not going away until it gets until it gets cumbersome and 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 annoying. We got new dads on deck every week. Dad Dow's growing. And no, Taylor Moynihan. I'm not allowed to curse even if I'm quoting somebody. No. Okay. No, Taylor. This is not going to be a bunch of people sitting around a campfire agreeing on everything. <laughs> Soaking <laughs> that tweet had me laughing out loud. Eating each other's opinions. All right. <laughs> this is going to be a real Dow. We're trying She's to. my favorite person in crypto. She is dope, man. She's like, she's dope. Um, what else do we do here? So really quickly, we want to let you guys know this year, uh, episode 400 is sadly going to be the end of the Bitcoin podcast. This new content we're going to be transitioned into. Corey has adopted Jesse and myself to hashing it out. I will probably be excused from the table. I can't get it together, <laughs> but we are trying to do content he that is back talked. in services. Yes, we want to do content <laughs> that's talked about, right? We're going to up the production level. We're going to start, um, what's it called? We're going to transcribe, get articles out there after every episode. Why not? We could do that, right? We're going to have uh, content that hits you deep and hits you wide, right? Depth and breath. Um, you said breath. 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 There's a D in there. Breath. 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 That breaks my mouth. Breath. <laughs> um, so it'll just be hashing it out. But what will continue to happen is this feed that you're subscribed to is just going to transition to TBPN. The Bitcoin Podcast Network is just going to be lower for all you old heads in the audience that were like, I remember when TBPN meant the Bitcoin Podcast Network back in the day, you know. If anybody like that talks like that in our Slack, then, hey, you're a forward thinker because you are old and you're into crypto. Uh, so you you can continue to stay subscribed to TBPN to listen to NFTQT um, and any other shows that choose to syndicate with TBPN. Uh, on to the next thing. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, Q was on CNBC. Today, oh no, Q is gonna be on CNBC today, March ninth. Right? Damn. That's wild. He's gonna be on one of those like, um, your business is kind of crappy right now, but I'm gonna tell you what to do to make your business not crappy kind of shows. What is it called? You know, like Bar Rescue or like, <laughs> you know, Baby Kitchen Shark Nightmare. Tank. Yeah, like like I love those shows. They're Ramsey. like, you know, like, they're like show. I love that the honesty of those shows. Like your kitchen sucks, and you do. Two, as the transitive property, you suck, your kitchen sucks, your staff sucks, nobody wants to eat here, not even you. Look at this. This chicken sucks. 
Like, I love those shows. It's just so honest. Um, why is that up there? We're not. You said chicken. Ah, ah. I thought that that was the chicken icon. I got really excited for a second. Like, did we get sponsored by chicken? Oh, we should with the amount of oh, exposure we get that project. Jesus Christ. Or the amount of we chickens should. we all have. It's just an exciting project. <laughs> There's about, a, lot of, a lot of chicken in that slack, right? There. <laughs> There's a whole lot of chicken going said, on. Um, I think I just said that's enough. Uh, yeah. This is why it's on down. Let's let's uh let's do the things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to our patrons. You know, thank you. <laughs> Join the Bitcoin Podcast Slack. If you go to thebitcoinpodcast.com and you click on the button that says Slack. You can, believe it or not, join our Slack. Hey, what's up, Joe? You can join our Slack. And, uh, you know, it's I call it the best kept secret in crypto because it is. Um, the amount of expertise, knowledge, and opportunities swimming around in our Slack is... Boom, right so if you want to if you want to join the slack and be a part of that then you can obviously epso facto click on the daddow.org link and just slide on over become a dad on deck you see how that works slack dad slack dad okay next thing <laughs> oh give us five stars on your podcast app if you don't no, want to give don't. us we're, we're, we're getting rid of the podcast not going to transfer don't oh, care yeah. go go give them to hashing it out that's right shout out to nick cannon the cannon's hilarious dad the the man with the most potent sperm on the planet right now shout out to black mirror guy shout out to pete davidson who i believe is being threatened on a daily basis by kanye west this is 2022 uh it's a good netflix show yeah. jesus it jesus? is i don't want to go to kanye I'm it's good kidding. it's good stuff can't take it oh <laughs> there we go shout out to kanye west yeah <laughs> well done well done alicia wow oh yeah coming at ya, randy savage uh, with the most superfluous words no i'm kidding Shout out to Zoe Saldana. I think the show is going to end before you ever come on it. You're bad. You had an opportunity. You missed it for a long time. Seven years of missed opportunity for you, Zoe. I'm never going to forgive you. If I meet you in real life, though, you will have never known any of that happened. (laughs) Play. Actually, Jesse, why don't you go on ahead and say it? You say it, bro. Say it. Play the outro. Thank you.